was Sweating Lunatic Iggy Pop as part of our Wednesday Punk Pack. And this is Football Unfocused, a podcast loosely related to football, hosted by myself and this cabbage of a man, Matthew. How you doing, Matthew? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, we were just saying how there wasn't quite enough Alan Partridge references, so you... <laughs> You've deliberately done one. Yeah. I can't cut out. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to keep throwing them in. Yeah. Um, how's it, how's it yeah. going, Matt? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of sport to consume over the over the last How's few days. Just yes, <laughs> yes. For the purposes of the tape, we are recording this the day after um, Tour de France stage four. Uh, day two of Wimbledon and uh, England's historic one day international win uh, against <laughs> Sri Lanka. And, um, was there was there anything else yesterday, Matt? I can't. Oh, Ukraine, Ukraine. Um, oh, yeah, that was Ukraine, a big, that was with, a big with, one. In the last minute of extra time, uh, David Platt style uh, beats Sweden at Hampden Park, Glasgow. Big yeah. turn up for the books. I think there might have been a. I can't remember what the early game was uh, <laughs> yesterday. Um, but uh, joking, hilarious joking aside, <laughs> uh, we are, of course, recording this the day after England uh, beat Germany. Yeah. Um, the I, last. I a, so is that right? The last time we beat them was in 1966. Yeah. In the knockout phase. Which hopefully will mean well, that's the last time. We have to use the sentence the last time since 1960. Yeah. So the first time <laughs> since 1966. Because there's nothing more. I mean, A, the, the distance in time between 1966 and now, the fact that stats like that still have to be used is, is embarrassing um, yeah. for, for the performance of our national football team. And it's also it's quite tiresome, isn't it? Like, um, But yeah, you're absolutely right. It is the first time we've beaten Germany in, a, in, a, in an international tournament. We've beaten them in like qualifiers and friendlies and indeed in uh, Euro 2000 in the group stage but not in a knockout game and we've played them quite a few times since then um, <laughs> yeah, so it's not it's not one of their meaningless stats you know like when like uh, like Brentford will get promoted to the Premier League for like the first time since the 40s and they'll say oh yeah Brentford haven't um, won at home to Manchester City since 1933 and then you see how oh, they've played twice at that time. Um, so it's a complete, completely meaningless stat. Um, but yeah. yeah, so it is. How did you feel about the game, Matt? Yeah, I mean, the um, the build-up to it was, um, it was a bit much, I felt. I mean, just the, I mean, I, I guess I'm referring specifically to, to the way the commentators, the hyperbole commentators were using it was. It was. Well, what um, do you expect? Isn't isn't that always the case, though? I know, but I I just feel it was the. It was so many. It was like the perfect storm of of, you know, it was at Wembley. It was against Germany. Um, it was during a a torrid time that we've all had during a pandemic. I mean, that was quite funny at the end of the match where Rio Ferdinand goes. We needed this, you know. It's been a tough year in the UK for us. <laughs> thinking, mm. well, I think the Germans have had it a little bit of COVID as well. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It was just us, yeah, just us. But that is indicative of our island mentality, isn't it? We had it tougher yeah. than everyone else. So no one else could possibly <laughs> understand 
we've really been. We've had it, it tougher, but we've done better as well. Out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the Boris Johnson line, isn't it? Yeah, we no one has sacrificed more, but we but at every stage we've been better than everyone else. And then just start talking about the vaccines and ignore the fact that 130,000 avoidable deaths, uh, yeah, that were 100% uh, his fault. Um, but but yeah. but yeah, have we managed to talk? You know, with stuff. <laughs> England's uh, probably most significant uh, victory at a tournament in a generation and uh, we turn it into a negative, Matt. Come no, on, let's not be downbeat. Oh, no, no, you're right. It was, yeah. Did you feel it, good? It, Did you feel like, are you getting into it? <laughs> Did you not think I was into it before? Well, like, you know, are you, are you caring? Has it grabbed you by the bootstraps? There has been a real uh, sea change, particularly following, you know, in the build-up to that match and after, you know, where... Do you know when you just speak to random people at work or, or pop to the hairdressers earlier and everyone's talking about, you know, and, and yeah. I, you know, we, we sort of... <clears throat> it's been a long time since that sort of sense of uh, shared consciousness. Well, you say you that, three just... years ago, we got to the semi-final of the World Cup and everyone was pretty fucking yeah, excited about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was three years ago. Um I don't know, yeah, but yeah, that that sort of where you can just strike up conversation with you know mm. your seventy year old mother, and they'll they'll know just as much about what happened uh, as anyone. Well, definitely me at least. <laughs> does your does your seventy year old mother have strong opinions on it? <laughs> um, yeah, no, she thinks Boris Johnson's doing quite a good job actually, <laughs> as many seventy year olds do. Yeah, particularly in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that's it. Very but yeah, she, yeah, no, I mean, she thinks they're great. She thinks Harry Harry Kane is a she's a Spurs supporter. Yeah, she thinks. Uh, What's well, your family club, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Um, she thinks he's 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 the greatest captain and goal scorer with with well, that rad. Is, I mean, he's he's got one goal in four games. The guy's on fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I have to say, as someone who is generally uh, kind of hard, you know, I can take or leave. Um, England at national level. I've got this really weird thing going on. I love what you just said there is great. And kind of, you know, that's what's wonderful about if you're, if your club's having a good run and do something special, you know, it's amazing because then the, the people who you're kind of sharing that experience with and who are kind of in the, in the same, of the same mindset as you, you just have this most amazing bond and it's just beautiful. Um, and you kind of, you can be, even though you've got no official kind of attachment to it, um, you're you can be walking on air for days you know and it can make your whole life seem better it's it's mad the really the way that sport affects us you know i've referred in the past to you know when when we won the champions league in madrid um genuinely you, i was i felt untouchable for about three months I've, like it just wouldn't stop i just felt just constantly happy and it didn't matter what what else happened i didn't care if it, what was happening at work or whatever it was just like Oh, that weekend was just unbelievable. Those four days in Madrid were amazing. And I was there and I was, I got right down the front of the end. The trophy was right in front of me. And it's, and that's what's beautiful about when, when England do well. And also, I really like uh, this team. I like the manager. I'm not talking about, I don't necessarily always agree with selection decisions and tactical approaches and that. But then having said that, I don't strongly disagree either. But what I mean is I'm, I'm not, when I say I like the manager, I don't mean uh, necessarily, um, not sort of, you know, I'm not analysing him. 
but I've always, he's always been a good guy in my eyes. And he, it was, I remember in 96 when he missed the penalty, I was, it was such a shame because he had come out, what people forget about that tournament, it always, he always kind of gets labelled as like the, the hapless guy who steps up to set the penalty. He had come out of nowhere before Euro 96. He had barely kicked a ball for England. And um, because of injuries, I think Gary Pallister got a pre-tournament injury. So Adams didn't have a partner. And Southgate was relatively inexperienced. And he had been unbelievable, faultless throughout the whole competition. You know, you kind of saw him and he's got this kind of um, slightly shy, polite, untypical for a footballer sort of uh, way of um, speaking. He seems, you know, like, yeah, you sort of, you know, your mum's your mum's favourite friend that you have at school, the one she wants to encourage you to hang around with, and you kind of think he's kind of too nice. And he was superb all the way through Euro '96, and that's why it was so heartbreaking because he had the bollocks to step up when there were about four attacking players who were still on the pitch who uh, didn't have the balls to step up. You know, Anderson, McManaman, uh, Ince. I guess you'd, you'd back. I was going to say you'd back him to score a penalty over Southgate, but then. You know, two years later, he misses one in the World Cup. Even Tony Adams, you know, just stand up and stick your foot through it. But Southgate stepped up and obviously missed it. And that clearly has haunted him. And he was I was actually quite touched after the game um, yesterday when he said that he saw uh, David Seaman's face up on the big screen because he was in the crowd. And he was like, yeah, that I will never be able to uh, make up to those teammates, you know, kind of what happened 26 years ago. And that you know, still hurts and uh, I carry it every day. But all I can do is try and create new special memories now. And I just thought, man, that's so tough that he has to go through that. And it's weird how he's kind of, because there are other penalty takers. For example, we lost penalty shootout in Euro 2004, where we had arguably a a better team. Uh, That was part of this, as we discussed last week, this golden generation. Do you remember who missed the decisive penalties? It went sudden death. England missed two penalties, one at the beginning of the shootout and one the last penalty. Can you remember who either of them were? Um, Batty? No, no, I mean, that was France 98. There you go. Oh, right. So it was it was Beckham missed the first one uh, oh. and then Darius Vassell. Uh, and no one no one remembers that. You don't hear like his Darius Vassell and David Beckham. Oh, don't even get me started again. This uh, so I did, like they keep obsessed with showing him on the screen oh. as if he's some sort of national hero. We're supposed to be fo- focused on these lads who now have got in the last few years in consecutive tournaments to the semi-final, and now potentially they've got a, they'll never have a better chance of getting all the way to the final. They're they're but they're turning up at tournaments and they're putting in really strong. You know, even if they get knocked out by Ukraine, it's still a credible performance, way more credible than anything of that that generation did of overhyped. Uh, celebrity bullshit, but yet we're supposed to idolise. They keep showing this underachieving uh, uh, attention seeker in a designer suit on the screen. You go fuck off! Stop showing that twat. Just sitting around more twats. Just really gets on my <laughs> wick all that sort of bollocks. But anyway, sorry, I'm just moaning. But but I really like the team. I really like the man. I think you know it's, it's different. It's difficult to to find any reason to dislike anyone in the starting eleven. And I love the impact it has on just making feel people feel kind of optimistic and, you know, kind of pulling together and looking forward to it. I guess, I don't know whether it's kind of me just being a bit of a miserable bastard or focusing too much on the negative or whatever, but I, there's still a part of me. And I, for much of the first half yesterday, it's kind of having this debate in my own head about, you know, with myself about how much I wanted us to win. And that is purely because... You know, there is 
it feels silly to, to focus on, on the negative after a game, a moment like that. But it is undeniable, and it seems to have been swept under the carpet, that the England fans, not only did they disgustingly boo, completely drown out the German national anthem, which is so, just such poor taste, just rubbish. And you think they should be better than that by now because you watch football all over the world and it just doesn't happen elsewhere. It's such a moronic English thing. Um, and and then there was there were significant audible boos again when the uh, team took the knee. And again, the commentators seemed to want to brush it aside and say the majority of people clapped over it. And, and maybe they did, you know. And uh, But the fact is that there were enough boos still for it to sound loud on the telly. And, you know, one person booing is one too many. You know what I mean? And that's people who... And, and so, so there's this kind of voice in my head that is saying, I don't want scumbags like that to be happy. Mm. And that, and that but, really detracts from my enjoyment of watching England win. And yeah. it shouldn't. I, it should, I should just be saying, they're such a tiny minority. Fuck those people. This is fantastic. Mm. They're a great bunch of lads. They're led by a, a, a lovely guy. He's got a brilliant backstory. How inspiring would it be if the guy who missed the penalty ends up managing England to their mm. to their first tournament victory um, in in fifty sixty odd years? You know, uh, but I think I, I think you can you can definitely. I believe that these players, those individuals, stand for the things uh, that those booing them obviously don't agree with. I yeah, mean, you know, good, good they point, they consciously took the knee, and you've got a captain. Playing, running around with a, a rainbow stripe yeah. um, captain's arm, you know. I, I think, think you're right, would, Matt. I, I think, I think yeah, I it would have given more ammunition to those who dislike what they stand for. You know, a greater reason to, be, you know, because not only do they not agree with them, but also the people that stand up for these type of values that they hate um, are a bunch of uh, unsuccessful wimps, or what? You know, yeah, they're sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're actually in, in a lot of ways, it must be the worst nightmare because the could, because the fact that this England team are standing up for yeah. values that kind of you know right wing knuckleheads would love to just deride as woke that awful catch all yeah. term that's supposed to be insulting woke. And yeah, like yeah, you know, gammon faced twats like Rod Little, uh, just a horrible, bitter, you know, shriveled dick right wing uh, mouthpiece in this horrible, hateful Spectator magazine, and and just just you know spouting off his usual invective of of, of bile and hatred, and uh, it must wind him up so much because there's nothing people like of that mindset typically love nothing more than an England team at an international tournament, especially when they start getting a bit of momentum doing well, because in their head, it kind of proves all the nationalistic shite that they believe. And they, they kind of jump on the back of that and use it as vindication. And the fact that now the team that are proving to be incredibly successful are not only um, ethnically diverse, reflect properly reflecting Britain in the 21st century. They are also strong-willed and determined and principled in terms of being prepared to take the knee and they don't care if a bunch of knuckleheads boo them. And uh, also standing up for LGBT rights, which is fantastic because there's absolutely no doubt that football has still got a massive problem with that. You know, when you think about the numbers of people who play football and there's not a single in the UK out, uh, you know, um, publicly out, um, LGBT representative. Um, and that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. And it must be a nightmare. And it'll be interesting to see if they if they now go on and 
fail, you know, if they fuck up against Ukraine or whatever, whether those people with that mindset will will use it as an opportunity. Like, yeah, let's get them now. Oh, it's because they were too woke. If they were, if they were like they were in the past, if they had this, you know, the spirit of the dam busters, they wouldn't have lost to Ukraine. You know, I think for those reasons, my willingness to, you know, for England to win is, is winning the battle in my own head. And, you know, it's it's a shame to even have to think even about it for a second, because like when we play in other sports, you know, I mean, not so much rugby because, I've just got very little time for rugby, but like uh, cricket, for example, you know, when we, it's not, you know, when we won the world cup a couple of years ago, there wasn't a part of me that that was thinking like that. And every time we have a big test match series or, um, you know, particularly the ashes and obviously when our Olympic athletes are are competing, I don't for a second uh, have these problems. So it's it's very much a a football culture uh, issue, but Hey, you know, like you say, it is about the, the players who are, who are doing it and the manager. And I mean, I, they were great yesterday, weren't they? I mean, looking at it objectively, it, it wasn't when you look at the amazing games there's been in the sort of knockout stages. It was it was by no means the best one. It was possibly one of the more uh, tense, but it wasn't the best in terms of quality. But, you know, England are, are, seem to be able to win games now. It's so uncharacteristic for the way in which they used to win games in the past. A, a, an efficient two-nil win. They they gave Germany two big chances. One in one in particular, and I guess you could say they got a, got away lightly because under normal circumstances you'd expect Germany to convert them, and then we're in big big trouble. But as Gary Lineker always says on um, international tournaments, you, there's no way of getting through and progressing through without having a bit of luck. You do need a bit of luck. And um, Thomas Muller scra- inexplicably scraping that ball wide. I mean, yeah, it's, you look at any, any, any massive achievement, you know, bang on about Liverpool again. But there's, there's ma- the, the, the miracle of winning the 2005 Champions League when we had such a real bang average squad. There were moments in there, the semi-final against Chelsea, who at the time were so far better than us, where at, right at the end of the game, the ball drops to Ida Goodjohnson. And he looks like he's got the whole ball to aim at. And he and he um, smashes it across the goal and it goes past the far post. And then in the final, in extra time, when we've clawed back to three or having been three nil down and uh, this brilliant AC Milan side are putting on the pressure and Shevchenko's got the opportunity to put the goal, the ball in an almost empty net. And he actually do that, just puts his, puts his arm out. And it, the ball could have gone anywhere in the goal and it just smashes against his arm and goes over the bar. And it's when you when you get moments like that, you think, oh wow, something's happening here. And so yeah, it was it was pretty pretty amazing, really. Did you want to talk about some of the other possible sh- more sh- uh, shocking or the more surprising results? Well, I mean France. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I briefly listened back to last week's um, podcast. As I, I normally uh, make sure I listen to it before we record the following week, just to think, right, where have I? Uh, uh, first of all, whether there's anything that you well, kind of need to follow up on, but secondly, where have I like, especially at the moment when we're talking about topical stuff rather than historical stuff, like uh, where have I ballsed up? And I think I said that France's uh, game against Switzerland was just, like a complete shoe in, and I mean I just didn't see that one coming. But actually, when you when you look at it objectively, France were pretty unconvincing in all their. They had a tough group to be fair, but they were pretty unconvincing in all their group games, and they didn't look like a. Um, 
squad that were kind of all pulling in the same direction. And they didn't deserve any better. They deserved to lose that game, Switzerland, albeit on penalties, but they can't complain. Um, and I, everyone seems to think that Holland losing to the Czech Republic is uh, like a massive surprise, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not so convinced by that. I think that that was a pretty even game. I think the Dutch are probably, you know, they've lost. Um, if you're without uh, one of the best defenders in the world, as they have been and Liverpool were for most of last season, it's going to undermine you. They looked amazing in qualifying and in Nations League and stuff when they had. Van Dijk at the back. You take him out that side and the frailties are suddenly exposed and they look dodgy at the back against Ukraine in their first game. So I don't buy that that was a massive shock and I think Czech Republic have been kind of growing into the tournament. They gave England a good game. They were very convincing against Scotland. They were good against Croatia. So I don't think there's any particular uh, surprise there. Um, But what's going to... what? What will be, because everyone, everyone's kind of making the same point. It's a bit dull to kind of go into the thing of, oh, look, England are on the right side of the draw. But but they definitely are. There's no, no denying it. The fact that they could potentially now have to beat Ukraine. If you'd said before the tournament, they're going to have to beat Ukraine and then either Denmark or Czech Republic to make it to the, I mean, to the final. They're never, ever going to have a better chance. But they are, in, they are then going to have to play almost certainly one of Belgium, Italy or Spain. And uh, I mean, that is um, uh, counting out Switzerland, which is based on last week, massively unfair. And maybe it will be Switzerland, but it's likely to be Belgium, Italy or Spain. But I suppose the, the, the interesting point there is that they'll have had much more difficult routes to the final. So it, let's just say it's Belgium, for example. You know, they will they are going to have to tackle Italy. Uh, at the weekend, and then probably play Spain in the semi-final. That, that if if those op- opponents play to their potential, that is two. No matter which one of those three kind of makes it through, that's incredibly tough matches. And obviously, I'm not expecting. I'm not saying for a second that England are just going to like breeze through their games and there'll be low maintenance and they can just make loads of changes and just sail through because that that clearly won't be the case. Especially if they end up playing Denmark, who look look pretty amazing. And that what's dangerous about Denmark actually is. They've they've stumbled on that thing in football that's difficult to quantify, but momentum. It's so, it's when that's so dangerous when when a team is kind of on the crest of a wave like that, and they've all got a, a common cause. I think they've they've been galvanised by what happens with Ericsson. Everyone, all, every single neutral is wanting them to win. It'd be quite interesting actually if we ended up in a semi final against Denmark at, at Wembley, whether many Danes will be able to get into the ground. Um, because even Wembley will clearly be, you know, you'd imagine, what, 90, 95% England fans, but pretty much the, the rest of the world will be behind Denmark and whether whether that would make an impact. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of things. Um, I got quite interested in the distances that teams were travelling mm. um, because I had some sympathy with Wales. Wales. When yeah. they were saying, oh, they've been travelling. But then, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's obviously, made, you know, they clearly looked you know, off the pace and all that kind of thing. But then Switzerland, who had done more miles, about 2,000 more, went and done one over on France. Um, And Netherlands, who hadn't travelled at all before the Czech Republic game, um, you know, obviously lost out to them. Um, You know, so so 
that was it was sort of it, it seems to be more of a, a you know how teams are managing that those transitions no but i think the difference is that where wales are i think even if you compare it to those other examples where wales had a unique disadvantage is that they in none of their games did pretty much did they have any any of their fans there i think the most they had mm. was about 500 or something because they had two games in baku which isn't even really technically Europe, is it? It's like almost, it's like Western Asia. I mean, it's, I, yeah. I, I don't know, like Azerbaijan is one of, it's one of those places that's like technically it's Europe, but it's so yeah. far away. And they're playing uh, Turkey and there's a big um, sort of expat Turkish community and diaspora, is that the word? Um in, uh, in, in Azerbaijan. So both, so the game against Turkey was like an away game. Um, and then they also played um, uh, Switzerland out there as well, didn't they? Um, and then went to Rome to play Italy. That is like actually an away game. Um, and then where did they lose to Denmark? I can't remember. Was it actually in? No, it was in Amsterdam. It was in Amsterdam. And, but they weren't. This the Danes were able to go to Holland. Plus, I think there's quite a lot of Danes in Holland and there's quite a connection between Denmark and Holland and no Welsh people were allowed to get over. So it, is, it was mass, massively harsh. Mm. And, and actually, I think you look at the way that game went. I think Wales played really well for about the first 20, 25 minutes and enough then faded, which is, you know, the classic proof, really, that they were mm. just spent. You know, they've, they've been fighting against the odds They've been travelling as much, if not more, than anyone else. And there's only so many times you can do that, particularly when you are a side that's kind of always punching above its weight anyway and reliant upon three or four top-quality players and the rest kind of making up the numbers and, and doing this over, kind of overachieving. I felt a bit bad for them, mm. um, to be honest. Yeah, 4-0, that was a bit... Um... Yeah, it was a bit hard. They didn't deserve to lose 4-0. No. But Danes, again, fair play to them. Like They, they, they were really clinical and they're playing with so much energy and um mm. they seem especially when you bear in mind they've lost their most creative player mm. uh, but they seem to be um you know able to kind of create problems from all over the pitch their finishing's been really good and they're, they're onto mm. something so that that could be a really mm. difficult game but it, you know what ukraine yeah. even will not be easy you know because they're going to be on a massive high they've just won a they were the luckiest team to get out of the group. They only had three points and I think a negative goal difference. And they, the only way they could have possibly got through is if the final matches in the last two groups to finish went a certain way, and they did. So Ukraine got the last of the best third-place finish um, qualification spots. So they've had that that relief, and then what? Five or six days to then be like, right? Oh wow, we're still in this. We've got a game, and then so then go and beat Sweden, who had actually looked really steady up to that point, mm. um, with a last minute of extra time. I know that on one hand you could say, yeah, yeah, all right, they've just played ninety minutes plus extra time, and they've had to go right to the end. But the the, the adrenaline of that um, mm. makes them dangerous opponents, and they're not they're not actually. Uh, in, in some respects, I would say they're, they're a more difficult opponent than Sweden because Sweden, I've always been kind of, they're quite functional and rigid and physical. And England have played Sweden loads of times. So, you know, we played them at the last World Cup mm. and beat them quite easily. Whereas I'd say that Ukraine have actually got probably more talented individuals um, and more unpredictable players. Um, uh, that makes them dangerous. 
So it's like anything. It's, it's like with, uh, you know, sometimes when Liverpool have got matches, you know, we'll have a Champions League draw that everyone tells you is, a, is a, the best draw we could have possibly got. And I'll be the one sitting there talking about, oh, no, it's, it's um, you know, it's full of peril. They're, they're so <laughs> fucking dangerous. And uh, uh, so maybe I'm just kind of guilty of doing that. Yeah. And the, the other thing I was thinking was about... Um... I, I'm, I remember a throwaway comment. I think it was the last match of, you know, it was Germany versus, I can't remember who, Hungary. And they were just sort of saying, you know, how potentially dangerous it is for England playing a team that has clearly had to, you know, be had to up their game from the start. They couldn't, you know, rest on their laurels. But then it transpired that France, Germany and, all, and Portugal all got... All out. All out in the first... And, yeah. and, and so the argument potentially is the opposite in that actually it didn't do him any favours being in such a tough yeah. group. Matthew, uh, that's possibly the best piece of uh, analysis <laughs> you've ever yeah. offered this. That is absolutely right. I don't think I'd even thought of that. You're absolutely right. All three of them are out. None of them were Let's convincing. Let's just stop recording now. Let's stop yeah, recording you've done now. it. <laughs> <laughs> <It's football. laughs> well done, Matt. You are absolutely right. And also it kind of got, it, it kind of backs up this idea that, that um, teams that win tournaments rarely start um, firing mm. on all cylinders. They work their way into the tournament. Mm. I, I, I think that the Spain team between um, 2008 and 2012 is probably it's the best international team in my lifetime in the same way that the Barcelona team between sort of, you know, 2008 and 2012-13 um, and is the best club team I've ever seen. And in my opinion, the best club team of all time. Um, and when you think about Spain, when they won the World Cup in 2010, I'm pretty sure from memory, they lost the opening group game, 1-0 against Switzerland. And yet they then went on and they barely conceded a goal for the rest of the tournament, but they just they just grew into it. And But they were able to do that because they could win their next couple of group games with uh, like an, probably with... It may be slipping into third gear and then just build and build and build. And especially now they've added the additional knockout stage of the Euros. You need that kind of similar ability to rotate the squad, physical and mental uh, fitness, but also that that intelligence to kind of put the foot on the gas and ease off uh, as and when you, you can. So, yeah, and, and I guess that, you know, looking at the omens, that might be another thing that, that could benefit England. I mean, admittedly, yesterday was an intense one, but they went into the last group game knowing that they were either going to finish top or second and it wouldn't necessarily matter either way. Although, as it has turned out, it's a big advantage to win the group. And everyone was saying, oh, you don't, yeah. want, to, you don't want to win the group because you'll end up playing France or Germany. But then if you then beat that team, you've then got, you know, and it just seems to have like completely fallen into place. But yeah, yeah, that that is a that is an excellent point, Matt. Excellent point. Well done, yeah. well done. I'm, I don't know yeah. what to say. <laughs> no, that's all right. A, yeah, I have to um, have to say on the uh, domestic front, we're also recording this, and within uh, the last hour, uh, is this one an update of, on the Tottenham? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not going to. Hum- I mean, there's that's still a complete humiliation and shambles <laughs> a week on. No, no change. Um, <laughs> but Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez, one of my heroes, has taken over Everton. And I just, 
It, that, to me, is staggering. It's a fact for you, Matt. He is the first man to have coached uh, Liverpool and Everton since the, the founding of Liverpool. Liverpool was formed as a club, um, as a breakaway from from Everton. They moved, they, they ground, you know, they, they moved um, to Anfield, formed Liverpool Football Club. I think there was a guy called um, William Barkley who managed both. I think he was part of the, the transition, you know, the move away from Everton and set, setting up Liverpool. And that, in that sort of 130 years, he's the only man to have managed both clubs. And to me, it's, it is absolutely staggering. Like you get this quite a lot in, in Italy where managers will go and, you know, the same guy will end up managing Juve, AC Milan and Inter. But it's pretty rare in England. It's pretty rare to. And, and again, you know, it has to be taken into account. Rafa left Liverpool in, um, in 2010. So it's 11 years since since he left. Still, from both sides, I'm talking here, Everton fans are surely going to find this a difficult pill to swallow. And and for Liverpool, you've got a guy who won us the, the Champions League and gave us some really brilliant years. And we were always so close. He got us so close to winning the league in 2009. We were always competing and he turned us into, you know, you could really say he was like the the, the beginnings of like the club we are now. Brought some amazing players and some amazing experiences. And he's now tarnished that. He's managing Everton. I mean, what the hell? He had, uh, I don't know what he heard, he had um, some Everton. Because one. I think one of the reasons he's, he's attracted to the job, obviously, other than the fact he'll be well uh, remunerated uh, for it, um, is that um, uh, he, he's always lived in the area. He's, it, it, in the 11 years since leaving, even though he's gone and managed uh, in Italy and in China and in other parts of uh, the UK, his base, which I believe is on the Wirral, his, his family are very settled there and he's stayed there and he's always been keen to sort of work as close to there as possible. So that will be one of, the, one of the big motives. But some Evertonians um, know where he lives and have put, put like a massive sign um, on like a hedge or something near his house saying, we know where you live. And like... <laughs> Just think, wow, <laughs> it started already. It started already. And like, God, you've that was not the even Everton turned fans. up for pre season. <laughs> yeah, well, that, but that's it. This is the thing. It's, it's, it's a massive rivalry. And I, I don't know whether Rafa is, has hugely underestimated the strength of feeling. Like, I, I know a couple of Everton fans, and I'm pretty certain they are not going to be happy about this. They're not going to be looking at that and thinking, Oh, we've got this high-achieving, internationally renowned manager who did a great job at Liverpool. Brilliant! Like he'll hopefully will do the same for us. They're going to be thinking it's Rafa Benitez. He famously once referred to Everton as a small club. He claimed that he didn't mean it in the way it came across. We had a game. I'd, I'd, I'd a bit, I was at the game. It was in 2007. It was an awful nil-nil draw at Anfield. Everton came and just did the old part of the bus classic, killed the match. It was Everton under David Moyes. And Rafa said afterwards, "That's it was, some, it was a version of that's what happens with with small clubs when they when they come to Anfield. That's the way they play." I think, to be fair to him, what he meant was, you know, um, a lot of small smaller clubs or clubs further down the league play negative football and come to Anfield and are just satisfied to try and get a point, and that's the the extent of their ambition. 
but it was it was perceived as him saying Everton are a small club, and the Everton that really stuck, and the Everton fans haven't ever forgotten that. So throw that into the mix as well. So not only is he an ex-Liverpool manager, he's a provocative ex-Liverpool manager. And it's just mad. And he's always been someone who very clearly uh, has a lot of love and affection for the club, and as in Liverpool, and I think has made it very obvious that he he would love to go back. But that's clearly never going to happen now. I mean, I think he'd have had an outside chance in, when once Jurgen's finally had enough of maybe even getting another shot at it and going back and sort of finishing the job, and he, he'd get to then manage the club in a much stronger state than the one he left because we're more we're better run and more stable, and uh, you know there tends to be more money knocking around for transfers. We're not being run by those complete um, cowboys that we were Hicks and Gillette in Rafa's time. Although I'm clearly also taking into account that our current owners are far from perfect and did try and take us into the European Super League. But still, like that. So, the, but any any chance of that is gone now. You can't you can't take a guy. I mean, he can't. Well, he can't win. I mean, I guess the only thing, the only way he could he could keep his reputation with Liverpool fans is if he went into Everton and just destroyed them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but then I'm not sure that would do much good for his own uh, managerial career. But if he if he did like a destroy and exit. Um, yeah. at, at Everton just picked up a massive pat, <laughs> fat paycheck um, and ran the club into the ground um, but he wouldn't be able to make it obvious that's what he's doing would he so he'd have to pretend to be he'd have to pretend to be uh, trying um, so you've been watching the Tour de France Matt yeah 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 I've been watching it yeah so um, yeah a subject the, the first... about, that you can actually talk about with uh, with, <laughs> with a modicum of what did you think no. of that idiotic woman who caused that massive crash mm. uh, on the on the first day? Have they yeah. found her? I don't know. Uh, as as I alluded to last week in in a bit in a section that I think you might have cut from the podcast, yeah, yeah. Uh, there there is a, a a a good friend of mine who is a regular listener to this podcast who is a an absolute <laughs> authority on cycling, yeah, and he yeah. would definitely know. He would hundred percent. He'd be like, oh. Not only does this guy not know much about football, but he's fucking flailing. Yeah, he's fucking up the cycling well. bit. Yeah. Oh, Matt. I, before we finish this, uh, oh, podcast, right. uh, okay, I realised yeah. that at the beginning, you know, uh, we'll do it slightly the uh, uh, the other way round because um, normally I begin the podcast by asking you some some personal questions, and uh, we went straight into um, to Euro stuff uh, <laughs> this week because we were just so overwhelmed with excitement. But, yeah. you know, our, our listener will be devastated not to get some more uh, info on, on you uh, this week. So, Matt, yeah. what's your favourite breakfast cereal? Um, uh, I, oh, what, there was um, oh cereal. I was going to say pancakes, but that, I mean, obviously that, that God's doesn't work. sake. <laughs> In what world is that a cereal? Well, in America, they just say... <laughs> it's still not a cereal, is it? It's still a pancake. A pancake is a pancake wherever you go. Yeah, yeah. In America. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in America. Yeah. I've never known anyone who you can ask a question like this. Such a basic question and get such bizarre answers. Like, what What do you prefer, a dog or a cat? And you said, you, you said something about, oh, there was this thing called... Uh, what was it? What was that thing Cat called? Dog. Was, <laughs> yeah, I, you, yeah I, that was it yeah i i was so 
after you were like, what the fuck are you going on about? I was like, maybe I didn't. Maybe there wasn't actually ever a program. Maybe I just thought it all up in no. my head. <laughs> a, 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 a former yeah. colleague and friend of mine uh, was kind enough to send me a screenshot of that a few yeah, days later yeah. to prove that it, yeah. it was a it thing. A, a, <laughs> a cartoon thing, but a thing nevertheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. Matt, what is your favourite cereal? Um, oh. I think I think they're called... It was something in New Zealand or something. I think they were called like Cinnamon Grahams or something. something yes, like that. they exist here as well. Oh, Golden right. Grahams, but just cinnamon flavoured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're pretty sweet. So Joe doesn't let me get them, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, but you like them. But I really if you were, like them. If she left you, you'd be, you'd be, <laughs> oh, yeah. you'd be on, on that Aldi wall website. To wall. Ordering, I'll just yeah, clear yeah. out. I'll clear out all cinnamon the cupboards, grain. all the fruit and all, everything yeah. and just fill them up with golden grit, cinnamon grit or whatever they're called alright brilliant okay well I, I would ask another <laughs> question but I just I just don't have the emotional uh, space bandwidth as they say <laughs> after that I just I'm just flabbergasted so until next week Matthew by which time because uh, this week unusually we've recorded this on a Wednesday we typically do Thursday or Friday so by next week, on recording day, we will almost certainly know who's in the final. Isn't that exciting? Mm, yeah, Obviously, I'm talking about Wimbledon, not, uh, not the Euros. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That, yeah, I can see it's only in the background right now. Who, who's going to play? Yeah, who's going to play? Well, I've got tickets for the semi-final. Um, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, How I'm much were they? Excited, yeah. Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> and on that on that financial bombshell, it's time to say uh, goodbye from me and goodbye from Matthew. Say goodbye, Matthew. Goodbye, goodbye. He's, goodbye, he's failed to go for it again. Yeah, he's done it. He's done it. He's done it. <laughs>